Let's have another round of applause for that Iron Man movie trailer. Yeah, wasn't that great? Uh, Next up at Comic-Con, coming on stage, we have The Wrong Boys from Seriously Wrong. Now, they're here today not to talk about Seriously Wrong, not to talk about politics, not to talk about ecological left-wing perspectives on the world. They don't want to talk about their Patreon or the patrons who support them with their generous donations every month. None of that stuff. They're here to talk about one thing only, and that is Simpsons reform. And it's underlined six or seven times here it says for me to emphasize it all these words that i'm saying are written down here it's reading exactly from a script and with that in mind the wrong boys hello comic-con how's it going hey hey it's us so just right off the bat we know that there's a lot of people who probably have questions about the podcast seriously wrong we just ask during the panel that no one brings that up thank you simpsons reform It is a moment that has come, and it is a movement without leaders. We're not here to take over The Simpsons. We're not saying, oh, hire us. We're not saying we alone can fix it, nothing like that. We want to amplify the voices of fans. We want to listen and facilitate, because we are in the movement where the moment can make a change. Aaron? The problems with The Simpsons are well known. We're not the first people to notice them. We're not the first people to articulate them. And we're not the first people to say that something could be better. But what we do hope to do is to inspire everybody here to think about how good The Simpsons was and think about how bad it is now and to feel hope rather than despair about where The Simpsons could go. The process of thinking through something small can provide insights on things that are bigger than them. Not that Simpsons is small at all, it's just the opposite. I think Simpsons is probably one of the largest intellectual properties in the entire world. I don't think there's a single piece of media that better encapsulates a sense of how Americans see themselves than The Simpsons. So its reform is fundamental. So we could get into specifics and say, oh, they need to do more rewrites so they can create more layered jokes, less one-off jokes, or need to stop bringing celebrities as themselves, or introduce some new characters, find people who can fill the gaps left by Phil Hartman and others in the cast, Lionel Hutz, and stuff like that. But it's really the process of getting there that matters. Thinking through what it takes to take something that's not going well and then to set it on the right direction. I mean, that's what Simpsons Reform is about. We just demand and want and ask politely for new episodes of Simpsons that are worth watching, worth torrenting. And we're going to have to address Simpsons abolitionists who believe that Simpsons should no longer exist and that someone should put this old dog out of its misery, shoot it and bury it in the backyard, try to remember the good times. Well, I think a lot of us have already done that privately in our heads. (laughs) Yeah, you have to after a certain point. Season 13 but being generous. The Simpsons isn't a dog. The Simpsons are drawn yellow doodles that move. And... Drawn yellow doodles that move can live forever, and they can be resurrected, and they can become something wonderful again. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the same financial forces that motivate Fox are going to create a new soulless, unfunny, unwatchable show as a means to sell advertising. We could abolish The Simpsons in form, but not truly abolish what made New Simpsons so bad. Some people call New Simpsons zombie Simpsons. If you just abolish The Simpsons, you could keep the zombie, lose The Simpsons. Obviously, no one wants that. Maybe if we were on season 13, season 14, we'd be like, oh, these last couple seasons weren't as good. Put her down. But when you're at a point where there's twice as many episodes that are bad as there ever were that were good, 
you have to try to redeem it. You know, you can't just end it now, 20 years too late, with this huge legacy of bad seasons, mostly unwatchable seasons. We think there's a different path forward. And that's why we're listening and helping herald the already existing movement towards Simpsons reform. Any questions? Uh, hi there. In some of the early uh, Keyboard Warrior radio theaters, you established oh. the precedent of them always coming together uh, and agreeing sorry, no. at the end. And wondering if your pivot might be a sorry, uh, no, no, seriously, wrong questions. The, we're not going to be from complex topics or more shallow topics like Simpsons reform uh, might be part of that. Okay. Same. Do we have some music? A lot of people Can we just play them out? Just wondering play some about music, their old Keyboard Warrior. If you could get something more like the old Keyboard Warrior theater. On the Seriously Wrong podcast, we're always committed to tackling the most important issues in their order of importance, starting with the most important on the first episode and working our way down now as we are moving forward in the series into, you know, the 200th most important thing and so on. And we finally got into something that's really important to both of our hearts, which is Simpsons reform. We're not just committed to leaving negative reviews like Al Jean's The Critic. We're also committed to providing productive feedback on how The Simpsons might someday again be saved. But we'll get to that in a minute. And I think first we need to establish why The Simpsons was so good. Simpsons actually is a big part of my childhood. It was like one of my favorite shows growing up. As a kid, you actually learned a lot about the world through the lens of The Simpsons, which is sort of weird to look back on in retrospect. When I think about fictional art and stuff that like really shaped my worldview and that when I go back and look at it now, I see a lot of things that remind me of myself. Simpsons and Animorphs are the main two that I can think of right from like that young, like pre 10 year old period. I had sort of an instinct to be like, maybe I'm looking back too fondly on these early episodes and maybe the new episodes aren't that bad. Well, this week, I've been watching a scattering across the years, and I can confirm the episodes that are considered generally to be the best Simpsons episodes of the last 20 years, they don't really meet the standards of what are considered the worst episodes of the early seasons. I watched the best one of the current season like two years ago or something, the last time I thought to check in. Like there was glimmers of good stuff in there that just seemed even worse because it wasn't that good. Something that people who are our age or younger might not realize is that when Simpsons first came out, it was like this major cultural phenomenon. At the end of this period of sort of cheesy 80s family TV, there was for the first time this kind of like alternative, edgy, lower middle class family. He chokes his own son. The mayor's a corrupt adulterer. The principal and the teachers don't care about the students. The cops are corrupt. Springfield is this shitty, corrupt town. And Matt Groening came from the world of alternative comics. He had a satirical sort of edge to his style of comics. And there's a lot of anti-authoritarian politics in there. And like, if you go back and rewatch those early episodes, it's got this satirical basis. Like there's this season two episode I rewatched recently where Mr. Burns, who's like the embodiment of capitalism in Springfield, is running for governor and people are praising him. Like, I like that he's incorruptible and he tells the truth. It's like almost like prescient in the current day when people are talking the same way about Trump, who's another like billionaire president runner type person. Krusty the Clown, children's entertainer. 
take it for granted because, you know, Simpsons is this cultural property. But it's a funny idea that this children's entertainer, when the cameras turn off, starts swearing, smoking, hates kids and stuff like that. At the time, that was actually legitimately frightening to a lot of like Americans who are like, this is a corrupting influence on our youth. I had friends who weren't allowed to watch The Simpsons. It was so normal for me when I was growing up that knowing there were other people who couldn't or weren't allowed was one of my first awarenesses that other parents weren't exactly like my parents. Other parents are more strict. It's just so many things from my childhood it connects to. I would say like the biggest thing for me that really like started turning me off to the show was that it very rarely made me feel anything anymore at the end of an episode. The way the themes and the story and everything comes together at the end of this episode, it like has something to say or at least poses an interesting question. These characters went on a journey together and arrived somewhere. Like this whole episode felt cohesive and the characters in it are people I've spent a lot of time with and I understand and they went on a journey together. When I think of examples of emotional cores to old episodes, there's the example of like the episode where Homer almost cheats on Marge and then doesn't. When I was a kid, it was like that was the first time I'd ever seen media that grappled with things like infidelity or like when Bart gets his heart broken by his babysitter or when Lisa lets down Ralph and Ralph's heart is broken and you sympathize with Lisa's perspective in breaking someone else's heart. Like these are all visceral human experiences, which as a child was introduced to me through the lens of these yellow-skinned, blue-haired people. When I think about like emotional cores to episodes, like of course there's the famous ending of Lisa's substitute where he hands her the note and she's like running alongside the train and then she looks at the note and it's like, you are Lisa Simpson, meaning you're enough, like that's all you need. It's like, oh. <laughs> and then another one that like always got me when I was a kid was when like Bart is failing and worried he's going to have to repeat a grade. So he studies really, really hard and like tries to change and then like fails the test anyway. And then Miss Krobop was like, ah, you failed. <laughs> and Bart starts crying. They have this nemesis relationship with each other. But when she starts seeing this little boy crying, he's like, you know, I really tried this time. I wanted to pass. She wants to comfort him and she gives him like a D minus, I think, or something. She like barely passes him. And it's just such a like, you could just relate so hard to that. And so widely considered, I think for good reason, those early episodes of The Simpsons, those early seasons, say like seasons one through eight-ish, are considered to be some of the best television ever made, some of the best TV sitcoms ever made. So it needs to be redeemed. It needs to be saved. Simpsons isn't just about Disney trying to make as much money as possible. Simpsons at its best was an anti-authoritarian masterpiece. It belongs in some sense to the people. We need to have that hope that Simpsons isn't going to be just this generic, fast-paced, family guyified sitcom that's going on in the background for the rest of our lives. I really want to believe a better end to this story is possible. Welcome back to another segment of Wrong Boys Skeptic Corner, splashing cold water all over your favorite beliefs. All right, guys, it brings me no joy to say this, but The Simpsons has never, ever predicted the future. If you look into the claims, there is always, and not most of the time, always a much, much better explanation than there being some sort of predictive power to The Simpsons. 
when you make 700 or 800 episodes of something, obviously there are going to be some coincidences. And given that there has been 700 or 800 episodes, and these are the best coincidences people have been able to find, it's actually embarrassing. In the Simpsons movie, which came out in 2007, they said, oh, there's a scene of the NSA listening in on Marge and the kids' phone calls. And this was six years before Edward Snowden blew the whistle on government surveillance. But what they don't mention is the George Bush wiretapping scandal had been ongoing in the USA for years, and it dealt with the NSA illegally listening in on people's conversations. It's just not the first time the NSA did this. It was happening at the same time. Some of the most recent ones are the most egregious. This is their prediction that on January 21st, the day after the 2020 election, it's going to be like chaotic. There's going to be like a Terminator future. And it's like, this came out in 2019. It's a joke about the current moment. It's not predicting the current moment. And if you're saying it predicted a Terminator future, it didn't arrive. You know, people said that the Simpsons predicted the Capitol riot. And there's this image being posted around that's visibly photoshopped of Willie to have tattoos like the Q shaman. It takes a second and a half and any knowledge of Photoshop to tell that this has been made after the Capitol riot. Simpsons predicted that Donald Trump would become president. They don't mention that was written when he was running for president. I wonder too about Kamala's dress, which is similar to Lisa's dress when she takes over president after Donald Trump in that episode. It's a similar dress, sure, and she's wearing those pearl things around her necklace. And maybe that's just a maybe that's a legit coincidence, or maybe there's somebody on Kamala's team who knows about these memes and was like, if we get that meme circulating, people are going to be talking about you, Kamala. Maybe I, that's I don't have evidence of that, but. If that's the best predictions they have, I still think it's pretty weak. A dress was similar in this situation. This is something I'm getting fired up about right now, because like I came into this being like, oh yeah, people think this is kind of harmless. And then I'm reading this article on Time Magazine saying Simpsons predicted Donald Trump and Lady Gaga. And predicted Lady Gaga's Super Bowl halftime show, the time Lady Gaga appeared on The Simpsons, and then she later chose to wear an outfit similar to the one she was drawn in in the episode. I mean, the biggest coincidence on their entire list is that nine years before Fox was purchased by Walt Disney, they did a joke, 20th Century Fox, a division of Walt Disney Co. But not even the stalwart of truth, Time Magazine, mentions that the reason they made that joke was because in 1995 or 1996, there'd been a high-profile acquisition of Walt Disney buying ABC, ESPN, and others. It was a reaction to current events at the time and making it a self-deprecating joke. And it bothers me, actually, reading this Time Magazine article, how they misrepresent the facts repeatedly here to imply there was more of a prediction than there actually was. Yeah, they do the same thing with the Olympic curling thing. If you ask Time Magazine, the Simpsons predicted in Korea in 2018, the men's American curling team was going to come up from behind and beat the Swedish men's curling team. What they don't mention is that this episode takes place in 2010. It's a mixed tournament. It's not men's. And Sweden is well known for doing well in curling. Like, that's why The Simpsons had them be the finalists. It's like anything that's vaguely similar to something that would likely happen sometime. It's the same thing with the 
they predicted the dragons in Game of Thrones, which had been teased as like growing from babies in the first season, bigger and bigger. Now they can breathe fire. Now they're doing this. Now she can ride them. That they were eventually going to burn down a city at the end of the show. Not any of the shocking facts of how that happened in that narrative of the story. They didn't predict that. They just predicted that a dragon would burn down a city. Oh my God. How could they have known? Two years before it happened, after Game of Thrones had been on the air for years already. How did Nostradamus Springfield predict Siegfried and Roy might one day be attacked by their own tigers? Incredible insight. It's like almost a lazy joke. (laughs) And it might seem that this is like a minor point to get mad about, but like this type of thinking where things without meaning are imbued with meaning, that epistemic break, that break away from trying to verify what you're reading and trying to separate the wheat from the chaff mentally rather than projecting meaning onto everything without any sort of like process to separate what's true and what's false is actually, I think, part of the crisis in the United States political discourse right now. The same forces that lead people to believe that the Simpsons can predict things are the same forces that lead people to believe that the election was stolen from Donald Trump in 2020. It's the same forces that led to the Capitol riot. It's the same forces that are going to lead to further threats. And like, it occurs to me that people at the Capitol riots, some of them probably thought and do think that, for example, Simpsons predicted that Donald Trump would become president. They think that it predicted that 9-11 was an inside job. It doesn't say that anywhere. And it's definitely the case that 9-11, no matter what your beliefs on it, did not coordinate with the Simpsons ahead of time. What's that old phrase? Make people believe absurdities and they'll commit atrocities. And I think Time Magazine here is missing the story by not doing work to point out how these aren't coincidences. I'm tempted to say that it's actually the seeds of fascism to stop believing in things based on processes that can discern good from bad and start believing the truths based on what feels right, based on mere association of individuals and so on. So I see it as a very serious thing that needs to be corrected, both in the public consciousness and number two, I'm going to be writing to Time Magazine to try to get some corrections on this article after the Capitol riot. Yeah, this idea that The Simpsons is eerily predicting things that are going to happen fits 100% snugly into the conspiracy theorist worldview about predictive programming and how shadowy forces have brainwashed everyone. And tricking people into thinking it's true, for some people... It might just be a silly thing or they don't take it that seriously, but for some people it locks into a pre-existing worldview about predictive programming and the Illuminati sending messages through television and doing satanic rituals at Super Bowl halftime shows. Like, they shouldn't be pushing things that can be so obviously debunked on Time Magazine, for fuck's sake, but... This in particular is just a dangerous, wrong narrative that they should not be pushing for other reasons, too. In Treehouse of Horror 19, Homer's voting machine changes his vote from Obama to Romney. That's based on allegations going back as early as 2004 about voting machines swapping votes. It's not a prediction of that happening in one specific instance in 2012. Sorry to pour cold water on it, but it's not true. Yeah, as writer of The Simpsons, Bill Oakley says, most of these episodes are based on things that happened in the 60s, 70s, and 80s that we knew about, and it's mainly just coincidence because the episodes are so old and history repeats itself. So The Simpsons showing a bad flu in 1993 doesn't predict COVID. 
them showing corrupt football federation representatives before some FIFA officials were arrested on corruption charges doesn't predict anything. People are corrupt in positions of power. Talking about the Ebola virus after the Ebola virus was already discovered doesn't prove anything. The image of Donald Trump coming down the escalator, waving at people, Simpsons Trump, it's often misrepresented that that actually comes from the 1995 episode released as president, but it's actually not. It's from after he came down the escalator. And that's like sort of the fundamental way that the associative conspiracy brain is being misled here in many of these cases. There's no understanding of the process that gives rise to these things, the history that comes before. And you can make something that's literally nothing seem meaningful. And the dangerous part about that is that we should actually have processes to protect what is true and what is meaningful in a healthy society. Because otherwise, you can have an epistemic break where people can no longer be reasoned with and neighbors live in alternate universes built on lies. I guess let's mop up this uh, cold water and uh, get back to the show. Yep. yep, yep. Fun to splash the cold water, not always fun to mop it up. Moppy mop mop. And that was Skeptical Wrong Boys splashing and then responsibly mopping up that cold water on your favorite beliefs. And now back to the show. So we talked about what made The Simpsons great, but I think in order to have hope for The Simpsons' future, we also need to talk about what currently makes The Simpsons suck so much. What happened basically was that over the course of a few seasons, people peg it at different times. You know, I kind of say nine through 12, all that great stuff kind of started to go away. The characters no longer felt like unique individuals. They could be the vehicle for any sort of joke in any sort of scene in any moment. It didn't matter. Them completely doing something weird is just another joke. The storylines become more scattered. The beginnings of episodes don't connect to the ends of episodes. There's no interesting questions being raised, or if they are raised, they're not explored in an interesting way because it's on to something else really quickly. They try to do emotional moments sometimes, but because the story isn't there to back it up, it doesn't have the same punch, it doesn't fully work. Well, if you don't believe in the characters anymore, I'm interested in writing, I'm interested in comedy, and it's really noticeable if you're paying attention what fans started calling jerk-ass Homer, which is like, Homer suddenly became this invincible person who is willing to do anything at any time, willing to debase himself, had no sense of shame, didn't really love his family anymore, would be willing to poison them for a gag or something. And then jerk-ass Homer starts blurring into the other characters too, where it's like, Lisa has a jerk-ass moment. It's like, what the fuck, Lisa? Part of what makes any show or any story work, characters, like, they can surprise us by doing things we don't expect, but it should be sort of justified in some way. And so, like, my sort of cynical take on it is, like, Simpsons in that period of seasons 8 through 12, the decline, and then zombie Simpsons era, or, like, modern Simpsons, bad Simpsons era, 13 and beyond, you just have this rapid-fire series of joke delivery that's barely connected to characters or plot. Simpsons was never about exploring deep philosophical issues or anything like that but you could find like there's legitimate moments of heart because you're able to empathize with the characters as people and that was completely lost like that example i brought up about bart he's america's badass she is his jaded old teacher they have an antagonistic relationship in this episode bart is crying and she is comforting him things that you would not expect these characters to do but within the narrative of the episode they earned it 
and it makes you feel something. It's not like, oh, she's just comforting him as some wacky joke or she's acting completely out of character for no reason. Yeah, or he starts crying and then Nelson walks by out the window. Ha ha. And then Ralph walks by and he's like, I saw a butterfly. <laughs> Because that's another problem with the new Simpsons is that they don't make up new interesting characters. They don't develop the universe at all because they've got like 10,000 of them and they'll just swing them by for a quick punchline laugh track type joke where like Ralph is a walking delivery of dumb kid punchlines instead of being a three-dimensional dumb kid who actually has needs, it's sad when he's rejected by his crush. And like that stuff is interesting, you know? It's like yeah. that stuff is what storytelling is made out of. It's not being like, oh, I remember Ralph. <laughs> he's dumb. The jokes in the old episodes would be character-based and story-based, but like they would be cumulative. And instead of just a one-liner punchline, they would often be these like sprawling, changing jokes that pull three or four reversals on you in a row. Whereas in the new ones, it feels much more like that family guy type thing, single joke after single joke after single joke. It's not that punchlines two, three, and four all build on punchline one so that four is like this cumulative whoop that is like, oh, it's all so funny. It's like, oh yeah, one was kind of funny, two was disconnected kind of funny, three was disconnected, four, and then it's like, none of it matters. It's like a series of one-liners that could be pulled out of any episode and put into any episode, taken out of Simpsons and put into Family Guy, taken out of Simpsons or put into Futurama or Rick and Morty or whatever they would be. The same line would work the same way in different places. It's not about, oh, these are characters interacting in a context and the context is getting funnier by what happened. Then there's also this pattern of the non-sequitur plots where the first act is heading in one direction, then all of a sudden something random happens. It's like, oh, now we're going on a trip to Russia, and it changes entirely over the course of the episode. There's no coherence to it. Put them all back on the couch at the end, and Homer or Bart turns to the camera and says, this episode doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, go to the credits. It's not good storytelling. It's not good satire. It's not funny. And winking at the camera because you did something that isn't good storytelling doesn't make it good. Like, it might be funny once or twice, but it's not any way to base the whole structure of your show forever. Yeah, and someone like the comic book guy, it should be a means to poke fun at yourselves, not poke fun at the people who would challenge you to make an actually good show. Yeah. It comes at a real cost because when there are good jokes, there's not the breathing room required to digest it. You just have these deliveries where there's a funny concept that's delivered by the voice actor in a context where this funny concept becomes not funny. It's just brushed by. If you pace things out a little bit slower and say, we're not trying to compete with rapid fire internet cartoon, like joke, 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 joke. We're actually trying to build a feeling of being real. So the jokes actually hit. And some of that requires like slowing down the delivery of lines, putting space between things, giving moments for characters to react to each other and feel like real people. Yeah. I think another issue with line deliveries is from what I understand, they haven't been recording together for a very long time. All these famous voice actors now just whenever they need to during the year go like pop out all their Simpsons lines. So you just imagine them being like, okay, Marge says this, then Marge says this. What's that in response to? So Marge would probably say that like this. And that mindset is incredibly different than Marge and Lisa and Bart all in the room together, timing it out, playing off the other actors, like seeing them say things with their face even that you're responding to. Getting the character actors back in a room together, I think, would help out. 
Yeah, like to phone it in is a phrase for when you don't care about something yeah. and you don't do it well. And all the voice actors on The Simpsons have been literally acting over the phone for 20 years during the time that they made the worst episodes ever. But I think if we wanted to make Simpsons good again, if we wanted to make Simpsons as good as it could be, we need to have it that the director is able to say, like, as you're looking at this come together, you know what? Homer didn't hit this line right. It needs to be more like this so you can feel that Homer's a person. Because if you don't feel that Homer's a person, might as well watch Family Guy. And the things that Simpsons used to satirize, they started doing themselves. For example, the worship of celebrities, where like every episode is a celebrity cameo delivery device where celebrity shows up and they're like, oh, wow, it's so-and-so from such-and-such. And And then Homer's like, oh, I don't know who they are. And then Lisa's like, dad, Elon Musk is a genius. God, we're about to meet a being with intelligence far beyond ours. Boy, give me my baseball bat. Hello, I'm Elon Musk. Dad! What the? Dad, no! Elon Musk is possibly the greatest living inventor. His company perfected electric cars and then gave away the patents. He changed the way Hollywood drives. And it's like, fuck, if Lisa was around for Elon Musk, she'd have like the good critique of Elon Musk, right? And it's like, why should someone who's not an actor play themselves on a cartoon show? Anyways, if he's going to be a cameo, he should play like a character. Plus, it'd be better just to have an Elon Musk type character who's introduced because then you could make fun of him. You don't want to have him on the show where you have to like check it. Like, Elon, is this line okay? It's like, that's not how you make a funny, good satirical show. And that's what The Simpsons used to be. It used to be a funny, good satirical show. And now it's not. I didn't want to miss one more chance to spend time with Mr. Musk. It is such an honor. I watched all the clips that he's in across two YouTube videos. The whole thing is so bad. They're so busy praising him and having Lisa praise him and like making really bad jokes that praise him. He changed the way Hollywood drives. And now he's landed in our yard and on our mailman's leg. Honey, guess who crushed me? I'll give you a hint. His first name is Elon. Ah, That's right. The actual dynamic they establish with Elon and Homer is kind of interesting. Elon's this genius who's run out of ideas, and Homer's ability to say random stuff because he's so dumb inspires ideas in Elon. It could have been like an interesting dynamic for Homer to have this smart foil character feeding off of his interesting way his mind works. Totally squandered on this Elon Musk appearance. Seriously, I saw that episode when it was airing. I was like, this is the Armin Tanzarian episode for me. Like, this is the bridge too far. Celebrities playing themselves. It's antithetical to the anti-authoritarian spirit of the early episodes of The Simpsons. If you had a celebrity coming on the show, you create a character they can play. And that character is in Springfield, part of their universe, a domestic small town life, which satirizes the idea of celebrity, not reifying it by being like, Oh, wow, it's Elon Musk. Hello, welcome to the United Kingdom. Prime Minister Tony Blair? Why are you greeting lowlifes like us at the airport? All rise, the matter of the people versus Homer Simpson. The people call Hollywood Ultra producer Judd Apatow. Homer Simpson is an enemy of art. Why, look, it's Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook. I'm Lisa, and this is Nelson. Sup, Zuck? Mark Zuckerberg is happy to meet new friends. Well, 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 Rachel Maddow, 
Just because we both worked at Channel 6 and you made it big and I didn't doesn't mean I'm bitter. Kent, I'm going to tell you the most important mistake you ever made after this break. I've been researching indigenous folk music of Springfield, and I couldn't help overhearing your delightfully cruel hate song. David Byrne? Singer, artist, composer, director, talking head. And I used to wrestle under the name El Diablo. Hey, it's an emancipated miner. Are you skateboarding legend Tony Hawk? Hey, Blink-182! We have names, you know. Whatever, you can crank it up! Dude, let's trash this place. Lady Gaga, meet your biggest threat, Baby Goo Goo. WikiLeaks is right over there. How you doing, Mr. Assange? That's my personal information, and you have no right to know about it. But we're neighbors. Would you like to come over for a movie sometime? Is it Iraqi journalists being murdered? Don't be ridiculous. It's an Afghan wedding being bombed. <sighs> well, I've got a really big secret for you. I'm not wearing any underwear. You know, you should really get out less. What motivation goes into this to turn Simpsons into like a celebrity cameo delivery service where like there's five or six plots jammed into every episode and you're trying to figure out how many canned punchlines you can fit per 30 seconds. I don't know how it became this, but I do know the last 20 years, the showrunner has been a guy named Al Jean. Yeah. And sometimes you rack your head at night thinking, what is going on inside Al Jean's mind? I don't want to be a dick or over-personalize it because it's not about any individual showrunner. Or I think that The Simpsons could be as good as it ever was under Al Jean with a new stock of young writers. I agree with you that whether it's new writers, the same writers, a fresh approach is necessary. Whoever's doing The Simpsons has to take a step back, look at what's wrong, and make an active effort to fix it. And I think there's a lot of ways to do that, but we also have some suggestions. I just got kind of like self-conscious. I made a joke about this at the beginning, but like there's so many important things going on in the world. And it's like, yeah, we're going to spend this time to like analyze and diagnose the problems with the Simpsons. But also like, yeah, I am going to spend the time to analyze and diagnose the problems with the Simpsons. It is a cultural touchstone and it's important we understand where it went wrong because it has a lot to say about the corporate media industrial complex. Comparing early Simpsons, good Simpsons to old Simpsons, I think it can teach us a lot about comedy and storytelling and satire, things that are actually an important part of the newosphere, the realm of ideas. Because I think early Simpsons had a big impact on culture, partially because it was just really good, really entertaining. And I mean, like, okay, if you want to make Simpsons better, obviously you can just take all the things that we've just said and that Simpsons fans have been saying for years and years and years now and try to do the opposite. But when I was thinking about how to do this, part of me clicked into this mode of there needs to be a symbolic gesture here happening. We need to somehow mark the new beginning again of The Simpsons. And one thing that occurred to me was to demote seasons 9 through 30, whatever they're on now, and just say, those are like Simpsons legends. That's Simpsons 2. That's extra Simpsons. Whatever you want to call it, it's something else. And then start again with a new season 9. A lot of people peg one of the pivotal moments in season 9, episode 2, The Principal and the Pauper, where it turns out Principal Skinner's whole character character doesn't make sense because his backstory is different than what they always said it was and everyone hated that. So I feel like that's a good point to start and just to be like, okay, what did we have in these first eight seasons and what would be a continuation of that now? Doing that doesn't guarantee it would be good, but I feel like it would be a palate cleansing idea to be like, here's Simpsons season nine. We're going to try it again. 
because we didn't do it right. I would say go back to hand-drawn animation. Really try to capture that. For me, season four to six area animation was about where it was perfect. And get all the actors in a room together. Swear off celebrities playing themselves. Swear off destination episodes. No more than one subplot for episode. Do all the good things again. Satire, character, heart. The sort of like anti-authoritarian. Giving the middle finger to stupid stuff in society. Because I've heard the argument that, oh, Simpsons couldn't exist today because it was from that specific time and it was reacting to this specific thing. But there's still things today that it could be reacting to. Like it could still be parodying the excesses of American society. (laughs) It's more excessive than ever. Yeah. But they just integrated the Simpsons into it. They were like, oh, this anti-authoritarian parody of the society is now going to become a major commodity owned by the world's largest entertainment corporation. It's going to become a prolonged ad for a mobile game. Yeah, that's one running theory that the show is just an ad for the Simpsons mobile game, which made $130 million in its first two years of existing before they stopped publishing the numbers, but has very active fan communities and like they're making a shit ton of money off of this mobile app. It makes more sense to me than anything else why it's still going. It's the tie-in show to the mobile app now. Yeah, like seasons 31, 32, 33. It's a mobile app reminder service. Open your phone, pay the $3.99 again. So yeah, I think there's like a couple directions that we could take on Simpsons reform if we wanted to have that radical break. It might help to start with a new movie that sort of charts out this course. Like, can you imagine a Simpsons movie that doesn't feature the extended cast of the Simpsons and rather just features the family having a crisis together or something? Maybe bring Brad Bird in to do it because like he knows how movies are paced. Like he makes movies for Pixar. He's got a good sense of it connected to the history of the Simpsons. A Brad Bird emotionally focused Simpsons family movie could be like that first place to like symbolically start. Maybe take it off the air for three years. Say we're not canceling the Simpsons. We're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and we're going to start doing it right. Welcome to Keyboard Warrior Radio Theater. Well, I'm so excited. I just became a political activist. I've joined the Simpsons reform movement, and I'm participating in a movement and a moment to try to make the Simpsons good again. Simpsons cannot be reformed. The Simpsons has been bad far longer than The Simpsons was ever good. It's like saying that you can reform McDonald's from the inside. The only thing you can do at this point is close all McDonald's's, end The Simpsons, and replace it with something better. Please. All this movement does is prolong the suffering. Simpsons reform isn't just about returning to some idyllic earlier state. It's also about creating new frontiers of potential for the Simpsons. We can take inspiration from what was great about the past, but we shouldn't try to return there. And this is part of what inspires me so much about the Simpsons reform movement is the Simpsons, as it exists in all of our minds, isn't something that belongs to Matt Groening anymore, certainly. Not even 20th Century Fox or its parent company, Disney. Simpsons is part of our culture. I just see Simpsons reform as something really fun and cool to participate in that has a hope of one day shaking the tree of political activism and creating episodes of Simpsons that are actually worth torrenting again. And, it, and it's not just utopian, it suggests a pragmatic first step to measure our power. We should write to any news organization that publishes Simpsons conspiracy theories and point out that in light of the Capitol riot, they need to do more work to show how this isn't true, to show that, I mean, coincidences happen sometimes, but this shouldn't be used to suggest that the Simpsons is being used by 
by secret, shadowy, malevolent forces to show what they plan to do in the future. I mean, it's a pragmatic first step to measure our power. And then from there, we can start the larger push and make The Simpsons not just good again, but truly great for the first time. I thought that the Simpsons reform movement was just about this one single idealized future that was ironically about returning to an idealized past, but you've opened my eyes. And also on the topic that Simpsons reform is also about the present and the way that the Simpsons is being used cynically to gain clicks while spreading misinformation about media predictive programming, reinforcing a paranoid worldview. Absolutely. That's something I do want to write these various companies about. That's a short term pragmatic gold I didn't think the Simpsons reform movement was capable of. I'm so glad that this quick online intervention was able to shift your opinion a lot. This has been really rewarding for me. Yeah, changing people's opinion on the internet is like that. So rewarding. Yeah, I don't even know why I remarked on it. It is so normal. Anyways, nice to meet you. Bye-bye. Sending friend requests. I'll send you some cool memes. Cool. Keep me updated on movement stuff too. Bye. Bye, sure, I'll tell you anything you need to know about the movement now that you're a member. Bye. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Keyboard Warrior Radio Theater. Another idea that I had for what could get me interested in The Simpsons again is if they switched off showrunners for a season rather than having like, oh, Seth Rogen's here playing himself. It's like, no, we're bringing in Judd Apatow. This is Judd Apatow's season of The Simpsons, and he's got some free reign within that. But you could have like this season, we're trying it in this art style or this season, there's going to be one plot across all the episodes, but then it's sort of over. Yeah, it makes sense to me. It's kind of the same vibe as they announced, but I don't know if it's actually going to happen that Quentin Tarantino is going to make a Star Trek movie and they were kind of like, oh, it's going to be like a Quentin Tarantino movie and they're going to swear and stuff, but it's going to be set in the Star Trek universe. It depends what we want The Simpsons to be, because if we want to say, you know, Simpsons has been around for 30 years and we're only going to do it for 10 more. We're going to sort of like land the plane. Then I'd say maybe go back into the regress to the 90s style way of doing it. You know what I mean? Like try to find more ways to pull on those earlier seasons and bring us back to a point where the series can end and have there be a comparable amount of good and bad episodes. That'd be great. But if the goal is to make The Simpsons something like, you know, Mickey Mouse or Bugs Bunny, that's eternal. And that when these voice actors die, they're going to be replaced. And that this is going to be a cultural property that exists indefinitely. And I think there's a good chance like Disney, Fox, etc. That's probably their dream. If that's going to be the case, then it's eternal. Then you want to introduce those variabilities within it and like making it interesting from season to season without doing just like weird, cheap storytelling tropes, like killing off characters, making Barney become sober or whatever, because no one ever cared about that. If you look at Simpsons meme culture and stuff like, you know, Simpsons Bort postings, like a big Facebook group where people make all these variations on the steamed ham thing and stuff like that, these sort of subcultural ways of reinterpreting the Simpsons and taking them in different directions, if that was embraced as the future of the show and that was embraced as sort of like the future vibe of the show that it could change... At the very least, it could stand a chance of redeeming the show in the future, or at least producing some like more good watchable episodes before it's over, which I don't really have faith is happening right now.
The other idea I had to acknowledge the meme culture and the ways that people already are reinterpreting The Simpsons and doing interesting stuff with it, the idea that you could democratize Simpsons creation by creating software that could be released by Disney to the fans, saying we release all intellectual property on The Simpsons from now on, it's being democratized, we're releasing Simpsons to the people. What this software does is allow any person to write a script for an episode of The Simpsons. It will auto-generate it, and then you can tweak it. So, like, the voices are all AI. If Homer's not saying what you want him to say in the right way, maybe you could do a Homer line reading, and then they would take your intonation and inflection, but turn it into Homer's voice. Really give people the power to completely design their own Simpsons episode. It's like, oh, no, I want that music a little bit more minimal there. You can flick the thing and it changes a bit. It would allow anyone who has a passion for Simpsons to create Simpsons. And even if you just had like one really great Simpsons episode idea, you could maybe make that. Or maybe like a team of people who love it would come together and create the best 20 episodes of The Simpsons that have ever existed. There could be really long episodes, really short episodes. The whole 22-minute thing doesn't need to exist. And as with anything, if you spread it out this far, there's going to be a lot of bad stuff in there. But there's also going to be a lot of good stuff. There's already a lot of bad Simpsons, so who cares? But as you're saying, yeah, the chance to get some more good Simpsons is one that I think is worth taking. And the more people you have creating Simpsons, I think just by definition, the more good Simpsons you're going to have in the end. The most possible good new episodes. It's a utopian dream, but it's beautiful. I mean, distributing makes sense. But there's also, to just play devil's advocate, you know, like there's a reason that we have writers' rooms. There's a reason why we produce shows with professional writers. You know, it's to make shows that are really good. And if you have a professional team of writers and you have a professional direction being financed with all the original cast and everything like we do now, but I don't see, like, these ideas aren't really in contrast because the software that it would take to do that, I think it's a little way off anyways. I think Disney, if they put money into it, could have it done pretty soon, honestly. In any case, maybe let's just give some bottom line advice to the current writers of The Simpsons. What would make The Simpsons good right now? Just remembering the show is about characters. And the comedy should be built through rewrites to be layered and character-based and satirical. And the plot should be paced reasonably for 22 minutes, you know? Like, just put one in an episode. Give them the space they need. And, like, I would be really happy to know that these fights happened in the Simpsons writer room, even if we lose. What is the Simpsons supposed to be? It's supposed to be a satirical, anti-authoritarian show about a lower middle-class family. It's a character-based show, sometimes has heart, and a darkly satirical take on America, you know? That's our two cents, anyways. Well, that was quite the recording. Long day at the recording thing. I'm just going to relax at home by myself, turn the TV on, watch an episode of what's on uh, New Simpsons. Check in with that. Mm, 
summer. Who ate all my donuts? Oh, they're all gone. Who ate my donuts? Mm -hmm. Dad, I don't know who ate your donuts. I've been studying social justice all day, and I'm against Donald Trump. Hey, I'm skateboarding in. I'm America's bad boy. I support Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. You go to your room for supporting Trump. Oh, I wanted donuts. Dad, donuts aren't good for you. I'm going to go run into traffic because I'm immortal. Mm -hmm. Homer. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My car broke down out front. Um, who is he? That's Jeff Bezos. Oh, wow. Uh, I don't know who that is. Dad, he's the greatest humanitarian on Earth. <laughs> Could I use your bathroom? Thank you, Jeff Bezos, for Amazon Prime. Didn't that cost a lot of money? No, Dad. It's very affordable. This came right to my door. Homer, can I borrow your credit card? Bart, you're being punished for supporting Trump. Why? Why do you want my credit card? Because I'm downloading Simpsons game. I need to pay for it all the time, constantly. <clears throat> Glavin, Clavin, oh, I'm just showing up. What are you doing here, Professor Frank? I'm here to support Jeff Bezos. <laughs> go, 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 go. Yeah, I'm uh, Mo. I'm angry. Blah, I'm a drunk idiot. Blah. Uh, shouldn't this show be canceled 20 years ago because I'm impossible to impress? Mm, Homer, I should probably leave you. I'm Jeff Bezos. I'm out of here. I'm going with him. Oh, I wanted my wife to stay with me. See you later, Homer. Ha <laughs> <laughs> But I love you, Marge. <clears throat> okay. Oh, I'm happy, Homer! And it looks like we're all back here on the couch as normal. Our mom didn't marry Jeff Bezos, even though he's a hero. Worst episode ever. Oh, I wanted to make a classic episode. Mm. <laughs> And scene, the episode of The Simpsons. <laughs> Credits rolling now. That's <laughs> like what The Simpsons is like now. <laughs>